Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp, and I'm here with my co-host, Vivica Hansen-Denegri. Hey, Vivica. Hi, Susan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to be back talking to you today because we're going to be doing a first for us. We have two artists in residence that are going to be joining our conversation, which is going to have its challenges, but I'm sure it's going to be a really great conversation because they are two friends of both of us. Um, it's going to be Deborah Boschert and Aramica Brown. And the reason that we wanted to bring them in was because they've shared a unique experience, and that's an experience of mentorship. I'm just wondering, have you ever had a mentor? I've had kind of an informal mentor. When I first started making art quilts, um, there was a woman in my guild who's a, an accomplished art quilter, Nancy Cook. And so this was in the Charlotte Guild. And um, I always had loved her work, but she kind of took me under her wing and I went to a SACWA conference with her. And um, she has been a terrific friend and mentor in a very informal way since then. And she also kind of pulled me into a group um, that a group of accomplished fiber artists who were professionals in the Charlotte area. And we would get together once a month and we all kind of mentored each other, but it wasn't in any kind of formal way. So I don't know whether it actually qualifies as a, as a mentorship or not, but I always felt like Nancy was there for me. If I had questions, she kind of introduced me to different organizations and resources and was, you know, it was very encouraging. Well, aren't you lucky to have had Nancy Cook? as a mentor. Absolutely. I'm I'm wondering if it's the same SACWA conference that was my first SACWA conference, which was probably 2012 in Philadelphia. Was it that one? No, I went to 2007 and it was at the Dairy Barn and it was um, for Quilt National. So I got to go to a Quilt National opening. Um, I kind of had stars in my eyes because a lot of my, um, my heroes, my, you know, people I admired their work so much were there. In fact, there were some of them I didn't even go up and introduce myself because I was kind of starstruck by them. Um, people like Susan Shy. That, you know, that's exactly how I felt at my first soccer conference, which was this one in Philadelphia. And it was just after I became editor of Quilting Arts Magazine. I will never forget it. I was in some ways really shy about going because I thought, well, you know, what am I doing here? I, I really, really want to go. And, and yet I just felt like, as you said, you're around all of these amazing artists. And one of the first people that I met was Nancy Cook. And um, I had a conversation with her and, you know, like I'm gaga about everything she's ever done. And by the end of the conversation, I'm like, well, would you make a quilt for my husband? (laughs) I have one of Nancy's quilts too. We actually ended up trading, uh, well, the quilt that she wanted of mine was less expensive than the one I wanted of hers. So we um, swapped quilts and then, well, I guess I paid her in installments. So we set it up. So I sent her like a hundred dollars. I gave her the one quilt of mine and we figured out what was left over the balance. And then I paid her like a hundred dollars over the next year or so to afford a piece of hers. And I love it. It's got blueberries on it. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, mine is pine cones. So it sounds like we have something that um, that sort of resonated with both of us. Yeah, and she's kind of retired too. So she's not making that many art quilts. She's doing a lot of embroidery work now, but she's not doing as many art quilts. So I'm thrilled to have one of her pieces. So what you're talking about is actually something that I think is related to mentorship, and that's patronage. 
you know, when I was preparing for this podcast and I was, I actually have talked to a few friends with different kinds of background. I've talked to someone in business. I've talked to someone who's an academic and I asked them both what they thought about mentorship. And it was, it was really so cool because one of them went off on patronage and also on um, sponsorship and, you know, about some of the things that are sort of related to supporting another um, individual in the work that they do. And, you know, the other one was truly all about the business mentoring that she'd had. And of course, I've read a lot of books on it too, but it's interesting that, you know, within 30 seconds of us discussing something, it, it also goes off on a slightly different topic. But being a patron to another artist is just a fabulous, fabulous way to support them too. Well, if you if you look at history too and the civilizations that had art patrons, what those artists were able to accomplish is extraordinary. Exactly. And yeah, and you're absolutely right. It would be really nice for all of us to support each other financially too. Um, you know, some, some, there's different kinds of support and they're all important. Actually, you know, I think that's really a very important thing. And the other thing that you said is that your mentor was not quite so, um, it was, it was sort of a off the cuff thing. It wasn't necessarily something that was planned. Um, I've had mentors in business that, um, are really just people that I looked up to and the whole, um, the whole relationship was not formal at all. And then I've also realized over the course of time that I've been a mentor to other people. Um, and mentorship is also a very much two-way relationship. And so that's why I am so excited that we have two people. One is a mentor, one who has been a mentee. And I can't wait to talk to them about this because I know that it's probably affected both of them. And so on my walk this morning, I was chatting with my friend who's an academic, and she said that the most important thing to her with the mentorship that she was the mentee in this situation was that she was able to give back to her mentor and help her mentor. And so that was a really interesting um, thing that I hadn't thought about quite as specifically about how uh, a two-way relationship is truly a two-way relationship of giving back and forth. Yeah, probably the best kind of mentorship is symbiotic, right? Where both people can benefit from it. That's a wonderful point. Wonderful point. Well, I think this is a great place for us to take a little break. And then we are going to bring in Deborah Boschert and Around the Brown. Aramika Brown's love of all things craft began as a child. She dreamed of becoming a fashion designer, but settled for plan B. She is an attorney by day and a fiber artist and quilter by joy. She describes herself as being stitched into many things. Whether it's her love of golf or her need to create, she is passionate about her pursuits. She plays an active role in the art quilting world as a board member for SACWA and as the secretary of the board for the Quilt Alliance. Aramak is a guest on our newest season of Quilting Arts TV, and you can read about her work in the upcoming issue of Quilting Arts Magazine. It's my pleasure to introduce Deborah Boschert. Deborah is an artist, author, and teacher. She creates art quilts with layers of fabric, paint, and stitching, and her award-winning artwork is exhibited in galleries and shows all over the world. She's the author of the book Art Quilt Collage and teaches regularly, encouraging her students to develop their own creative voices. Deborah currently serves as the president of Studio Art Quilt Associates and lives near Dallas, Texas. When she's not adding hand embroidery to her quilts while listening to podcasts, she's practicing yoga, 
traveling, and scouting new amazing restaurants. Welcome to you both. Hi, Vivica. Hi, Susan. Hey, Erica. Hello, everyone. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Vivica. Hi, Susan. Well, I'll jump right in here and ask the first question, and this is probably for both of you. Um, what qualities should you look for in a mentor? Aramika. I would say that I actually wanted to do the program because I wanted an opportunity to explore that with someone who's been sort of established or has a pattern or a practice in the art. And so that was one of the things that I was looking for is to get an understanding of what what they do on a day-to-day, how they approach um, their projects and how they approach their creative thinking and um, and see if there was anything that I could glean from that, as well as get some insight as to how I can look forward and look into the way that I create on a day-to-day basis and also to ensure that I'm developing that process and developing my skill sets um, as I'm growing as an artist. And initially, I think it also was, you know, finding someone who I felt had a compliment or a defined style or because I had this thing where I thought I needed to find my style, my thing. But I think that was one of the things that I was looking for when I, or what I was hoping to have when I, um, when I was looking into seeking a mentor. I know both Aramika and Deborah from being on the board of uh, Studio Art Quilt Associates or SACWA, that we all usually call it. And um, I also have a little bit of insight in the fact that this whole mentorship relationship started as a SACWA mentorship. So I'm curious, um, Deborah, as someone who really has been a supporter of SACWA for a very long time, how were you two matched up? as mentor and mentee, because, you know, sometimes we think about a mentorship as something that happens sort of um, naturally, like it might have between Susan and Nancy Cook. And then other times it's more formalized, like you have to ask someone to be your mentor. How did this happen for you two? Yeah, this mentorship structure through SACWA, Studio Art Quilt Associates, is one of our many really amazing and wonderful member benefits. And so we have so any member, SACWA member, can request a mentor, and we have a form that they fill out, which lists some of the things that they are hoping to accomplish in that mentorship program. The other thing that in the SACWA program, uh, the framework is for one year. And I think that's really helpful to have a specific time frame that you're working with. Um, and then we have a mentor coordinator who looks at the requests from potential mentees and matches them with people, mentors, who will be able to complement the things that they are interested in working on. That might be artistic development. It might be professional development. It might be they want to kick off a writing career. It might be they need to launch a new website. The mentor program can be kind of project-based or it can be more um, process or developmentally based. It can cover lots of different areas. So it's like match, match.com for quilt artists. Yeah. 
well, hopefully you swipe the right direction when, or, you know, it's been a long time since I've had to do that. So how many people are involved in this in Cyclo? How many, how many mentorships have they set up? Do you know? I don't know exactly. It's been going on for probably four or five years. So there's been several cycles and some mentors have had multiple mentees. I've had three different mentees with Sakwa, and they're all completely different. And there's also several people who are men who can be mentors, but also are mentees. Because even those of us who have the opportunity to serve in that mentor role still have a lot to learn and still can benefit from having a mentor relationship with someone who has expertise in different areas. So do you feel like this relationship is student and teacher or is it more collaborative or does it just depend on the, the individual mentor and mentee as to what how you how you make it? I really think every pair, every partnership is completely different. And I would actually second that because I think one, that was one of the things we talked about too, is I think it, the person who's, who requested the mentorship. So if you think about it, each person is coming in with their own thoughts and or desires or, or you know, motivations for the project. So for me specifically, I saw it as an opportunity to be exposed to someone that I probably never would have had an opportunity to be exposed to. So that was my initial motivation and it was free. I mean, come on, you get a whole year of picking someone's brain and for somebody like me with the nickname Encyclopedia Brown, that's like, you know, that's like <laughs> that's like, you know, gold to me. And so when I approached it, I reached out because I wanted to, you know, to take advantage of that because because I was a member of SACWA and I wanted to be able to um take advantage of that and also see how it worked. And I don't know and I think it's just kind of, I would say it's more of a serendipitous process, I would say, because I don't, because I was supposed to be matched with someone earlier and then something, and then somehow or another, there was a drop, like the, the process got delayed or something like that. And then ultimately um, I would start at a few months late, like later than I had originally thought. And then I ended up with Deborah. And I think that, you know, just for my personality and my style, I mean, I don't know how things would be different. It could be totally different with a different person. And I think I, and I really believe it's a serendipitous process because, you know, I, we started this process and the way we ended, it was to me different than what I actually thought it was going to be. Yes. I'm totally nodding, remembering like one of our first meetings where Aramika really had a vision and a project that she wanted to work on. And that I could give her some input and guidance and accountability on, and that uh, we we didn't end up there. But I think that we, I think that the most important thing, one of the many opportunities that I think come out of a partnership mentor experience is getting clarity on what's important to you. And it might not be what you thought it was. Um, and then really being encouraged that the things that are important to you have value, no matter what they are. And the different mentors that I've had have kind of come to different um, priorities, completely different from each other, but, but equally valid. And then you have some direction that you can follow. So I'm sort of wondering, Aramika, if it's not too much to ask, if you could walk us through how that change actually happened. Did you have some goals that were set that like 
for instance, I know um, just from knowing your work over time that you've created recently these amazing portraiture quilts. It, did you, for instance, say that I want to be a portrait artist? Um, I've done all of this stuff before. I really want to work on that. And then just decide it was something different. How, how is it that this mentorship changed over time and maybe your goals changed? So I would say, I think I came in and my focus was finding vision was my belief that I thought that there was some need to seek or find this vision. And I'm somebody who tends to be the kitchen sink quilter. And I say that in terms of, I like to try everything and it depends on what I'm feeling for that day. So while, yes, I have these portraiture quilts, I also love painting and there's these other elements and I love doing all these other different things. And then this particular, um, my idea initially was to do a riff on a piece that I did that was in Houston, that was journeyed into Houston called Double Take. And it was a piece that featured um, intense pencils with fabric. And it was um, based on um, this photographer who's um, half Korean, half black named Milton Washington. Slicky Boy was an image that he took of this photographer in Harlem and so it's the, the photographer taking a picture of an old-time photographer in Harlem and so I created a doubled image mirroring the image but one side featuring the ink tents and then the other side featuring the fabric applique version of the same image and so I thought that there was going to be a growth or development from that as a series and then it kind of became a series where I wanted to do something, you know, recognized in Milton Washington, because I've done a couple other pieces um, based on his photography as well. And then I wanted to celebrate his duality of Korea, South Korean and, and American U.S. And so I, there was this other piece that developed. And so I think I had all these versions that I wanted to do. And it was primarily because I felt that I needed to repeat and redo um specific pieces because I have a tendency to do one stop and never touch that thing again or do something else. I was trying to look at a series. Then what happened? Because I can imagine that, you know, you started at this point, you're looking to find your voice like we all are as artists. And then you met Deborah. And how did, how did that goal change that? Well, I would say, and I think it's one of the things that's interesting. And I say Deborah's unique because I do know there are a lot of people that are more and not to say that she's not structured, she's structured in a way that you don't realize it. And that's why I say it's serendipitous because it works for someone like me. So as much as I love structure, I don't like the repetition of things. I don't like the, 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 the detail focus of the exact same thing over and over and over again. And so because I know, like once I get it, it's like, okay, I'm done. I want to go to the next thing. Someone like Deborah, because she has Again, I, I just I want to say it's just serendipitous because her style is very, it's recognizable and there's a repetition. But what she, what I saw, and as we went through it, I saw the beauty of how each one, although it's a repetitious pro process, it creates something unique. And so, in, in my, and so I think we began with the, and I'm, and I'm sure she'll jump in and remind me of this artist that worked in a series. Oh, I'm not sure I remember exactly. Oh. <laughs> I was looking for my notes. Well, that was actually one thing that I do think is great about a mentorship is I I would try to follow up after our monthly calls. Like I would think of a recommendation, a resource, an article, an artist, 
And I would try to do a follow-up email with Aramika after each of our mentor calls where I would remind her what we talked about and what she said she wanted to do. And then I might give her some suggestions, some resources to uh, refer back to. But yeah, I think that Aramika started with this idea of exploring this double take image and really diving deep and exploring different materials and different techniques, but around that one image. And she kept trying to want to do that, but she was so pulled by other inspirations that I really needed to give her the permission to let that double take image go um, in order to grow in the way the inspiration was pulling her. It's like, look, a squirrel, look, a squirrel. (laughs) And And it's okay. It's okay. And, and I think what she was saying about my work is that, yes, each piece is different, but they're all related. So even though you might be distracted or pulled away to do something different, when you're creating a lot of work and when you're finding comfort in particular materials and techniques and themes, your work is going to be cohesive. And then you'll find yourself really working in series, potentially. Um, And so those were some of the ideas that we talked about. And then I think the other thing is just this accountability of checking in regularly. I was going to say, I think a lot of artists, when they're kind of in that starting out or intermediate stage, think that they need to be highly focused in and already have their voice and their themes and their techniques all polished and honed down to this little core. Um, They think that that's super important. And a lot of people need to let loose and explore a lot before they get to that point. And so I I love what you said about giving them permission, you know, to giving, giving yourself permission to explore a little bit. I think that's really important stage. All right, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, uh, one thing that I really enjoyed reading, Deborah, was the booklet that you put together. I'm going to probably botch the title, Hand, Heart, Head? Head, Heart, and Hands. All right, got the order wrong, but I've got the, the theme is right. And and I think how lucky Aramika was to have a mentor who helps other people explore that. And so you were really well matched, you know, and this, this booklet is actually a course that you teach, basically, of, of helping people explore themes in their work and and all of this. Do you want to explain that yeah, a little sure. bit more? So it's head, heart, and hands, developing your creative voice. And even in this conversation, several of you have said, find your voice. And I always like to say that you don't find it. It's not lost or hidden. You develop it. And so I put together several prompts and exercises and challenges that help artists maximize what's going on in their head. That's the ideas that they're interested in exploring in their art and in their heart, the things that really get them excited and get their pulse racing, um, whether that be color or pattern, the things that really just excite them about the creative process. And then last, your hands. And those are the techniques and the skills that you are interested and have the ability to master. And so I really feel like when all of those three things are working well together, that's when an artist can really create their best work. 
And so, and it's funny, and I keep looking, I mean, I keep in my head just looking off and thinking there's, I had a list and that was the first time that I actually put a, a visible list of things that I wanted to complete. And so I think what ended up happening during this process, I started completing things that I hadn't completed in a while. And I started focusing on just making sure I finished it with a quality that would be showable. And that was something else too, not just finishing it to say it was done, but focusing on finishing it properly. Because during this process, I created a piece that was in the um, the MDP um, for Fannie Lou Hamer that's been traveling with Dr. Carolyn Mizlumi. I did that during this time process. And I think that this, this process informed even the way I went about creating the quilt and creating the background first. And, 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 and I started working differently than when I usually, than what I had been doing up to that point. And I think through this process, one of the things that it, it caused me to just explore different ways of doing things. And then during this process, I also completed the piece for A Better World. So that also came out. And there were some of the things that I you know learned through our conversations on how to approach things differently. And, um, and I think one of the things that I discovered was that it's, it was okay to have all these likes and, and, and techniques that I wanted to do that I didn't have to narrow it down to something to be in a, a set place that it was okay to explore the things that I wanted to do, because that's what this is, is using the heart part of, you know, of the head, heart, and hands. And I also have the, the pleasure of also being in North Sakwa. She's also, Deborah's also in North Sakwa, um, going and actually being in the little session she gave us there. And also during that time, I also discovered that I enjoyed working on my iPad to create things as well. And that was a huge shift um, for me as well, because I wasn't as much hands-on things as, you know, I thought I had to do all these things painstakingly by hand. I started literally creating things and sending them off to print and it was just, you know, making things left and right. And I think that this process just allowed me, you know, I could say, I'm going to do this and then this will be done. And I, and I think I ended up making quite a few and I, we did, I didn't follow up, but I think it was maybe 14 pieces that I actually finished and completed during this year as a result of it, things that I did brand new, things that were old that I managed to complete quilts that I had there that I managed to finish quilting all of them, just all these tasks that had been lingering because I felt I needed to be in some box. So it sounds like you got a whole lot of affirmation and permission, permission to be Aramica, permission to do your own thing, to change course, and to focus on what you really wanted to, and then some really nice direction. And, you know, one thing that just sort of comes to my mind when I'm thinking about this is that it must be really challenging to be a mentor and that there are probably some things that as a mentor, you would have to really focus on to make sure that you didn't encourage your, your mentee to follow your path. In other words, to give them that freedom. And, um, you know, so I think being an effective mentor must really, really be challenging and just as hard as it is to find the right mentor. It is challenging. And I, I often thought of it as a conversation and also as an opportunity to think about all of the things that 
I was asking Aramica or another mentee to do that really I needed to also be able to do those myself. Um, and so in a way I was thinking about how I would rise to that same challenge. And really it's an opportunity to have a converse, a deep conversation about process and priorities and where you want to go in this mentor-mentee relationship that we really don't have uh, other spaces to do that in. I've given, I've written a book and given presentations and uh, those are all one-sided. So to be kind of talking about the same um, information, but in the context of a conversation uh, puts also the challenge on the mentee to think about it differently, which is really a fun uh, benefit of the experience. So it sounds like you got an awful lot out of it as well. What other things do you think, why do you keep doing it? Why is it, why is it something that you are passionate about? Well, I love to see the growth. It's such a privilege and an opportunity to have that relationship with a person. So it's fun. It really is amazing to be kind of right on the inside. So I continue to do it because I think it's a benefit to other artists, but also a benefit to me. Um, it helps me focus and clarify what works. Each time I work with someone different, it gives me insights on what can be effective or maybe not effective. It also like broadens my knowledge of how different people are um, and different priorities and different ways of living a creative life. I'm always eager to just kind of get to know more. It's really an intimate and vulnerable um, position, it seems to me, because when you're sharing your fears and insecurities and worries and concerns about your piece of art that you're creating, like all artists do when you get down to the real nitty gritty of making art, that's a, it puts you in a very vulnerable position, probably for both of you. It can, but it doesn't have to, you know, like not all mentor uh, mentee relationships have to be that way. And I think that that builds naturally and so, Ramak and I would meet monthly, and sometimes it would be very task oriented and administrative, and report back. And other times it would be much more cerebral and intense. Intense, yeah, exactly. And it's funny, and I and I'm laughing, I'm laughing in my head because I'm like, maybe it was something I was supposed to be in Texas because I often say, I don't know, most people may not know, my personal Yoda is Leslie Tucker Jenison. And years ago, um, maybe like in 2010 or something, like I would call her in the middle of something like, okay, what do I do? Or 20, whatever it was, like 2011, it was like maybe nine, 10 years ago. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And then in this instance, I think it's interesting because one of the things that I think, you know, for anyone, and I mean, I think it's a testament of the process is, you know, we're exchanging information. We are being vulnerable in our discussions because you're, you're talking about the things that you're kind of afraid of. And so whether you're hesitant to try something or do something, there is a vulnerability that goes in with that. And then I also have to say there's a separation anxiety that comes as a result of it huh. because you're 
in this process and it's like, you know, you have this meeting coming regularly and I kind of almost glad that, you know, we then transfer. And then as soon as this is almost over and now she's the president of software, now I'm on the board because now I feel there's still just a continuity. But I can tell you when you get to the end of it, you're like, wait a minute, am I done? Is is wait, but you can't go yet. Like we we but mm-hmm. you know, and so you understand that and it's 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 an opportunity where and to me that's a testament just of the um the efficacy and the success of a program like this. And I would hope that all other mentors and mentees would get something as positive out of it because it is a cycle and it gives you enough time to kind of jump into what you need to do and get what you need out of it. But it's also right when you're starting to get accustomed to that person, you then have to separate and kind of go off and see how that continues in your day to day. You know, and I think that's one of the things, you know, you you asked the question, because I think one of the key things that I got from the relationship is I tend to not want to see other people's work because I don't want to be influenced by it. Um, and I'm always afraid of that. And I guess that's that lawyer side of me, like wondering, you know, the intellectual property aspect of it. But just knowing that Deborah had, you know, has resources and blogs and things like that, we started talking about people. And as I got exposed to people, I actually sought out other people and started, you know, realizing just how other people do their processes. And I and now I'm looking at other people's processes more as opposed to, quote unquote, just the artwork. So I think that's something that I got out of it. And I was able to separate the two and know that, you know, that I don't have to worry about anything necessarily influencing, but I can also gather information and skills from looking at someone else's work. I feel bad for my poor family. Because every time I find a new book or a new, um, just someone online that I just love, they hear about it for weeks. And so <laughs> recently for me, I don't know why I'm so late to the game. I've been reading the little tiny books by Austin Cleon, Steal Like an Artist. Also from Texas. Yes, he's actually from Austin, which is not where his name came from, I have a feeling. But I've been really interested in the thought of the difference between plagiarism and then emulation. And so one thing that he says that you should do is really read, go to museums, look at as much art as you can, learn as much as you can, and emulate the artists and what they do that you really love. And it doesn't mean that you're copying them. Yeah, totally. And I think that's sort of what Aramika was saying. Some of the artists and other resources that I shared with her, I certainly was not sharing them with her so that she would copy their work. Because you there's so much that we can pick out from artists' work that is interesting to us and equally important, what we can pick out that is not interesting that we don't want to do. And if you can like find just a seed um, to begin to grow from, um, you're you're not copying. And I think that like working through and studying and thinking and evaluating all of that is eventually going to benefit your own work. And I would really suggest that you look at artists who are not quilters. That you look at painters. You look at musicians. You read a lot of poetry. You read a great novel. So if you surround yourself with great art, great work, etc., everything that you absorb, 
will eventually be reflected in your work because there's, there's no way that you can't be influenced by it. But as you said, you're not necessarily copying it. But the other part of it is that many of these great artists actually copied first. They did a lot of work copying. And, you know, these are the greats. This is Picasso could actually copy a Rembrandt. And although his, his style evolved tremendously, probably the absolute opposite of Rembrandt, he could still paint like that. And it's, it's part of your learning process to copy, but it's not part of your learning process to copy and then sell a copy or continue to copy. It's, it's learning how to apply paint or apply thread. You know, I would add dance and theater and film and television to that list as well, because I learn an awful lot about atmosphere and lighting and, uh, you know, use of color, use of form from those art forms as well. Totally. And it's interesting because one of the things that um, I think I got, like, as I'm, as I was thinking about that actually made me feel comfortable, because as I said, I'm coming from the, you know, is it copyright and do you have to get permission but I had to liken it to, you know, I was a trial attorney, so I'm in a courtroom. And how did I learn to present? How did I figure out my style or what worked for me? I watched other people. I, pre- I watched how other people presented. I watched their intonations. I would look at you know, the, all of the TV shows and get a sense of how people do that. And I would sit in a courtroom and watch other lawyers just to see what I liked about it. And I think one of the things that I... Uh, that also always came up, which is what I, one of the things I love about Deborah is that she always likes to do the things that you don't like. So she makes a point to make sure there's not just what you like, but it's what you don't like. So even if you can't figure out what you like, look at it and see if you don't like something because then you won't, <laughs> then you won't have to worry about that. It's really useful to be clear about what you don't want to do. It's easy to slip into some weird expectation and then feel like it was a waste. Or wrong. That's something that came up with the whole double take. And every time I tried, because mind you, I didn't just chuck it right away. I started it. I had a process. Then it morphed into something else. Then after reading some other stuff about series, I developed a theme from it and then did all this work for the theme and then didn't want to do that. And then went to another part of it. And then it was finally like, you know what? Deborah just said, I really don't think you want to do that right now. <laughs> don't you think, Aramica, all that work you did had value? I mean, it didn't result in a quilt or a, or a series of quilts, but it resulted in a lot of clarity and learning. And I think one of the things that I, like I said, the process and what, whether it was something that gave me the permission not to have to finish something. I mean, granted, I still may at some point because I went back and revisited things that I thought I forgot about. But I think just looking at things in that way, actually, I think whether I realize it consciously or not over through to today has informed how I look at stuff. So there may be more thematic themes that I'm doing, which kind of started with this year. You know, all of I did a number of pieces related to me, which was like the second time after my first piece, um, you know, Simple, Simple Joy that came out. I ended up doing a whole bunch of pieces in versions of me that I, out of nowhere, and it became a thematic thing that was informed by just the thought process and trying out the different things that I'd seen over that time. And I think, um, again, it's okay to not want to do something. It's okay to start something and realize you don't like that 
And it was very, um, I guess, very informative to just ingraining the process within me. Well, and I know that it had a huge impact on you, Aramitha, because when I met you in person, finally, it was at Quilting Arts TV at a taping that we were doing in March of this year, which seems like 1,050 years ago, that we were actually <laughs> in person with people. And it was the week before no, the week everything really hit. The week well, yes, it was the week when everything hit the fan. And we were like, do we hug each other goodbye? But um, I know that it meant so much to you because you talked so much about how great this mentorship was. And so I think that both Susan and I were just sold on it without even having really explored it. So, you know, since then I've gone on the software website and I've downloaded all of the, all of the mentorship um, documents and, and talked to other people about it too. But I know that it had a huge impact on your work. One thing that you shared at uh, the TV taping and actually showed on television were the hairstyle quilts that you did. And you called it going to the beauty shop, which I just love the thought of because ain't happening lately. Who knew? <laughs> For anybody, really. But you talked about just looking at people who you really admired and about how hair had such a really big presence. And on these quilts, you used amazing specialty fabrics to create effects that were just outrageous and fun. And I will just never forget the joy of you explaining all of this. And I think a lot of that clarity came from thinking through and doing all of this work with Deborah. Definitely did. And I, I also put her on a spot every time we were somewhere because I'm like, oh, that's my mentor. You know, and I, and I, one of the things, of, you know, for all those that are listening, again, I would, pro- I would probably more than likely even pay for it. But the point is, it's a free resource as a SACWA member. And I think that you know, if you really commit to that, you can really get so much because it's not just your quilt process. It could be on how to do business or can or be a, a business of our quilt. They have different topics that you can focus on. And um, and I think it's important because it does it can be for anything. And I think it's it's something that, you know, if you're a member or if you're not a member, it's worth the membership and then some for the next 10 plus years just to, you know, just to participate in it. And I remember thinking to myself, this is an opportunity to actually go to school and have a one-on-one. It's almost like a coaching, you know, artistic executive session that you get to have with someone who's in this industry and you can decide if it's something you want to pursue, you know, monetarily or as a business or whatever the case may be, or even just for your individual art growth. And I think it's a just, and that's, and I think that's part of why my joy comes through about it because it has so much value that I think people may not realize. Well, I've got to thank both of you for taking time out of your busy work days to come and talk to the Quilting Heads podcast audience. This has been just really, really helpful. And it's making me rethink um, the thought of being a mentor and about asking for that kind of guidance. I know that it doesn't have to last for a year. It's all worked out between the mentor and the mentee. But it's something that I just think that, you know, like the rising tide lifts all boats. It is something that is good for everybody. And it certainly has been great for your art and for your relationship, because I can just tell the joy that both of you have talking about it. Thank you so much for joining us. It was wonderful to hear firsthand about your experience. Thank you so much. So nice to be here. Great to see you all and such a such a fun topic to talk about in depth. 
Indeed. And it's been wonderful. Thank you. Well, that was really interesting. You know, I had looked on the SACWA website and looked at the mentorships and I thought, you know, that's maybe not some for someone who's already fairly experienced or ha- has found their voice or, um, but talking to them, it made me think that there are lots of different things I could do in a mentorship. I think we all have areas that we could grow, certainly. And, you know, when I think about my own artwork, there are a lot of places that I could grow. So I'm really going to think about it. I'm going to think about it long and hard. I can see where if someone wanted to write a book or to get better at videotaping for classes or, you know, had business issues, all of those things you could do through a mentorship. And I had never really thought about it that way. So I hear you have a quote for us. I do. So this is a quote quote by Steven Spielberg. He said, the delicate balance of mentoring someone is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. That sounds like just the relationship we just heard about, where Ramatha had her goals and those goals might have changed and Deborah didn't force her in any sort of direction, but allowed her to grow in the way that she really needed to grow and meet the goals that were probably the goals that she had internally, but maybe not externalized at the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. And I can see where that would be really hard to do, but I'm sure Deborah did it. If I know her, she's terrific. She's a great. Well, it's been lovely talking to you today, Susan, as usual. You too. Thanks for listening. And remember, there's lots more information about the things we discussed in this episode, including mentorships, links to information about how to get a mentor and the artwork that we discussed as well. Just follow the link in the description to our website, quiltingdaily.com. If you want to hear episodes as soon as they come out, remember to subscribe. Just search for the Quilting Arts Podcast in whatever app you use. And when you do, please leave a rating and a review because we'd love to hear from you. The Quilting Arts Podcast is a production of Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Vivica Hansen-Denegri, and Susan Burbaker-Knapp. This episode was recorded and edited by Chad Franson. Sarah Erickson is our web producer, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer. 